podcast, we have Alexander D. Great back. And it's great to have you back, Alexander. Now, we didn't finish off the last podcast speaking about your musical history. And really what I'd love to know is how many songs have you composed? Because we ended the last podcast last week speaking about your musical history. And we were just getting into this idea of Calypso songwriting and what Calypso is. So how many songs have you written? Okay, um, just to backtrack, if you remember from last week's um, podcast, we talked about a guy called Keith Ferguson who became my manager when I decided to switch from all the other stuff I was doing and start doing Calypso. Um, he had a great idea. Some of your listeners, some of the older ones, might remember that in the late 50s and early 60s, there was a guy called Cy Grant who was from Guyana. He was an actor, a folk singer, a Calypso singer too, very good looking man, and he was part of a radio show called Captain Scarlet and the Mysterons. He was one of the characters. But he also used to do a Calypso roundup of some of the week's news on BBC TV. Now, there were only two channels, only BBC One and ITV at that time. So millions of people would see him on a Friday evening at the end of the, um, or at the end of a program called Tonight with Cliff Mitchell Moore, and he would do a little two minute song. So Keith Ferguson went to the BBC in 2000, early in 2000, and said, let's recreate the Cy Grant idea of doing a Calypso with a bit of a news roundup. They liked the idea, but they said, we can't do it on TV. Everything's changed now, of course. They said, we'll do it on radio. We'll give it three months and see how we go. I had the brief to write about three topics of news in the same song which hadn't been done before. I mean, most calypsos are about one topic. I mean, you, you pick a topic and you write the song about it, whatever it happens to be, love, war, you name it. Um, so how it would work is on a Monday, I would call the producer and say, I've seen this or I've seen that in the paper or on the TV. This is an item I'd like to cover. And they'd agree or not agree and say, well, no, we were thinking of this. Tuesday, we'd speak. Wednesday, we'd speak. By the time we got to Thursday, we'd agreed or by Wednesday, we'd have agreed the three topics. I would write a tune and I would go into the little news booth at BBC London and record my song. Now, in the early days, it was great because there was no real time limit. I could do a song that lasted five minutes. And I used to be played on drive time. I was also played on a lot of local BBC stations that had what you might call Caribbean or other programming. So Leicester, Nottingham, Gloucester, Oxford, Huddersfield, places like that. They would hear my little songs. And... Um, I like one week if I did a song I tried to vary it so if this week I did a song that was quite up tempo uh, with eight lines to a verse then next week I would do one that was a bit slower with maybe six or four lines to a verse um, if it was in a major key this this week then next week I'd try and do it in a minor key or do something else so I was constantly trying to vary it the three months turned into 12 years they kept me years. on for 12 years. I did wow. it from February 2000 till July 2012 when a new management came in. The guy who had booked me, who was part of the news team, um, he was in charge of news. He left and went, you know, independent, if you like. And the new management said, oh, we're going to change everything. So they did. That was fine. I must have written about 550 songs for the Beeb in that time. That's a lot. A Fantastic training ground. Yeah, because I learned how to alter and change things and, and kind of 
it was right into order, but it was great training. It's something everybody should do. And in fact, it's when you when you go to music college and you set things like do a bit of orchestra, orchestrate this piece of music by, you know, this this piano tune by someone or other, whoever it might be. Or I want you to try and write a trio based on a theme. And this is the theme, that kind of thing. It was it's the same sort of thing when you're doing songwriting. The um, the topics would vary a lot. And I remember one week, and, and also, I wasn't allowed to be too controversial, but I could be reasonably controversial, um, as long as I didn't overstep. And I remember one week, there was a song called A Man With A Plan. And the three topics were, one, I can't remember what one of the topics were, but the second one was that David Cameron had apparently said something like, the NHS is not fit for purpose. He didn't actually say that, but it was misconstrued, but it was something that purported to be that, the NHS wasn't fit for purpose in the way it was. And the other story was that Baby Doc, who was the son of Papa Doc, who ran Haiti originally, um, they were very, they were very um, cruel uh, right wing family. Um, basically, they were dictators, is the only way to describe them. And Baby Doc had come back after the terrible um, earthquake in 2010 to see if he could take over. So, and the chorus just went, he was a man with a plan, and I can't remember the rest of it. But the lawyers said, oh, you're equating David Cameron with Baby Doc, which I wasn't. The brief oh, was oh three different topics. And we'd agreed the topics, but it didn't get past the, um, <laughs> past the, the lawyers, the censors. So obviously I rattled, <laughs> I rattled someone's cage that week. It so didn't you, go out. you could say matter, that was kind of a significant protest song in its it own was, right. It was, it was quite a significant protest song in the sense, but it was misconstrued. I was just doing my three topics. I know. But anyway, yeah. I did not have very many fantastic melodies, but a few of them were good. So what would happen is this. Now and again, I would think of a tune that was really quite a good tune. A lot of it was simple and not, you know, fairly catchy, but nothing really memorable. Then now and again, a great tune would come up and I would steal it back from myself and say, Nana, that's worth a good song. And later on, I would write a really good song based on the tune. A few of my songs have been written um, and extended from something that was short uh, and not necessarily very impressive, but had a good turn of phrase. Quite a few of my songs have done that. Um, okay. And some of them I'm really pleased with. So, so I'm, give me an example. I'm well, I'm saying I'm following in the footsteps of the great composers. Do you know how many times Bach or Handel reused a tune for something else? I mean, you look at a Handel, Handel did many, many operas, and he'd have an aria in an opera, and then you'd find it in a, uh, what do you call it, a trio, like a chamber trio. Yeah, well, I want to get into this point now about protest songs and calypso, yes. okay? And I right. mean, we were just discussing before recording this interview that if you go back into composers like Bach, who's viewed in our day as very, you know, strict and boxed in yes, and everything. and very, you know, and then, Papa Bach, And Beethoven, we know Beethoven was a bit of a rebel in his day. We do know yes, that. Yes, And then you have Mozart with his weirdness, I'll call it that. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. we'll, well look at Bach first. Explain the okay. story surrounding Bach. I mean, he was well, jailed Bach, one time. Bach was, um, he was an intrepid guy. He... For one thing, he went to see Buxtehude, who was the famous musician when Bach was a young man, he was a teenager at 18. Buxtehude was the most famous musician, composer in Germany at the time. And Bach did a 300 kilometer walk to go and hear Buxtehude and back. And it took him something like two weeks to do it. 
but he was determined to hear him. Bach was also booked or hired, if you like, by the local town council or the church um, or a cathedral, whatever it happened to be. And one of his jobs, um, which he hated, he would he was let put it this way: he was hired to write songs, not songs, hired to write works for use by the church. So cantatas, and of course later on um, he did do um, Lutheran masses and various things like that. But he was doing this stuff and he was expected to teach the boys in the choir Latin. And he objected and he had a big row and said, I'm not teaching these boys Latin. Can't somebody else do I'm, I mean, I've got enough on my plate. Well, he was into, it, hold yeah. on, he was, he was into organ building. He was heavily composing. Yeah. And then he had Latin to do. I mean, there isn't enough I hours mean, in the day. over a thousand works. I mean, when you look at his work, it's, it's like something like 1,200 works. And some of them are long. The B minor mass takes two two cds i don't mean two sides four sides or, or if you like four sides of an album yeah. it would be yeah you know, i understand the, uh, yeah and and the saint luke passion the saint matthew not saint luke, um, saint matthew passion saint john passion these are big big long works let alone the 48 preludes and fugues and all the different things he did oh, but i think what's really interesting about bach is and we were just saying this before the interview like he was a rebel in his own right oh my he goodness he was he fought he fought against people to support his own beliefs about something he That's wasn't right. just he wasn't going to be paid by a church to be told what to do and bow down no he stood up and for what was, he that, believed that's in what people people don't understand how incredibly daring he was for the time because you know you could be jailed and have your head not i don't know if your head was chopped off but you could be given a very hard time later comes along something like well bach was born 1685 that was a bumper year by the way 1685 bach Handel and Domenico Scarlatti were all born in that year. It was the most bumper year for classical music. Hey, Beethoven's born in 1770, so he's a long way past Bach and he can get away with more. But even Beethoven, his third symphony, the Eroica, he was writing, he dedicated it originally to Napoleon because he admired Napoleon for the revolution. Then when Napoleon declared himself emperor, Beethoven got, he lost it completely, scratched out the dedication on the first page, you know, the, the scratched it in a rage and put, in memory of a once great man. Oh. Now that was a good protest. You're talking about pre Yeah, exactly. Good protest you know. in times like so, that where you had to be so mannerly and, you know, responsible that's and right. all this, you know. So for people, look at our classical musicians. There's many of them. who Many were... of them. And I mean, people don't know that a lot of hymns, I come from the Methodist tradition by birth. Right. But uh, a lot of the hymns written by Charles Wesley were taken from pop tunes of the day, the equivalent of pop tunes of the day. Yes, well known. And people don't tunes. know that. And again, some sense, of the national anthems have reflected that. Yeah. Some of the national anthems across the... It's just crazy. Now, Wonderful. there was one more reference that we made, and it was regarding Mozart. Now, there's a film that was released back in the 80s called Amadeus. That's and it. And one of the things you'll notice in that film is there's this high-pitched laughing of Mozart when he sits down to play the, the, the newly yes. created piano as an instrument in front of emperors and dear knows what else. Yeah, yeah, it was the, yeah, yeah. People, but people think he actually had Tourette's. He may, nowadays with the kinds of things, the kind of science and the kind of um, expertise we now have in looking at conditions, it's quite possible that he had some sort of condition that went side by side with his genius. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do, I do. He got, a, again, his musical genius got him, he got away with stuff that lesser composers or lesser people at court would not have got away with. And I find it interesting, The Marriage of Figaro, famous opera. Figaro was a servant. You don't write about servants. It shook, 
You can't imagine them, honestly. I'm oh, yeah, you. I know. Yeah, historically so, speaking, you were going to write about emperors and kings and queens and, and all the and rest God. of it. Yeah, Greek gods and, and people from, you know, um, um, myths and legends and all that. You don't yeah. write about stewards of the household. But <laughs> They're the did. lower classes. What are you doing with them? was incredibly popular among the ordinary people they loved it to bits not only the great tunes but also the fact that it was about this topic and it was he was walking on thin ice he really was his genius got him away he got away with it because of his genius because the music was just unbelievably good but um at the same time again very daring and and i think it's well it's quite possible that you'd have something like tourettes or maybe um some things similar to that or maybe some form of autism who knows what because you didn't see it himself that the way there, there's there's this idea though of protest songs being in your face out in yes. the street being pounced yeah. around the place and yeah. being brought into society to cause well some people might say mayhem others might say yeah we need change let's you know use music well, the, as a motivator yeah but protest songs can be a lot more subtle about that okay. um Talk more about that, because there's a oh. lot of bands like the Eagles. There's Bob Dylan. There's Bob Marley, which we're very familiar with. Joni yeah. Mitchell, one of my favorites. Oh, I mean, all favorite. those songs are not really in your face, but they have key messages attached to they do. what they're about. And, and they're kind of subtle, like you have to listen to get it. So can you talk more about the genre well, of protest songs and yeah, where you come I, in? I think it's always been there. And I think people have taken their lives in their hands doing it. Obviously, in the modern era, it's much easier now. But yeah, I mean, someone tried to shoot Bob Marley. Get up, stand up, stand up for your rights. Um, thinking of Joni and some of her fabulous songs, there's For Free from the Ladies of the Canyon album, where she sings about a clarinetist whom she sees playing at the side of the road. She's at the traffic lights in a posh car, in a taxi or something. And she's just about to step out and have a word with them maybe give them a few dollars and the lights change and off they go and she says but the one man band by the quick lunch stand was playing real good for free oh yeah. my goodness me it makes me it brings me out of all strange inside because i know that i've seen the buskers you know and they and fantastically gifted play. musicians pave paradise put up a parking lot yeah big a taxi and as she goes more into her thing, the, I mean, the best album, her, the album I love more than anything else is Blue. In fact, my eldest daughter's called Carrie because of the song Carrie, which is funny because Carrie is about a guy. The, oh, the that's red, funny. Carrie, get out your cane. But I mean, I love that song so much. When she was born, I said, look, I want to call her Carrie. My wife said, that's fine. So we called her <laughs> Carrie after that song. But yeah, Joni is one of the, well, she's one of the 10 greatest songwriters of all time in my book. They talk about McCartney, they talk about um, lots of people. But I mean, let's moving on from there, let's talk, I mean, with the Eagles. Now, people think of the Eagles, you might not think of the Eagles as a protest band because of the big hits. Desperate. Yeah, but there's a song called The Last Resort. The Last Resort is the last song on Hotel, Hotel California. California. Yeah, the Hotel yeah. California album. And it is about it's again it's got that beautiful thing the thing i love so much about lyrics it's the double entente the last resort sounds like oh it's a last resort you know expression we use every day oh well as a last resort you could do such and such but the last resort he's talking about the native americans and the um you know the the enclosures they were put away into and it's it's just 
Everybody who's listening to this podcast should go away and Google. Actually, you know what? I don't think you can get The Last Resort on YouTube because the Eagles don't let their stuff be on YouTube. <laughs> really? They want yeah, us to YouTube? Tell you what, I was I, I, no, no, because, because as, well, as far as they're concerned, I mean, people, people slag them off for it and say, well, why should you? But the industry has gone haywire in that nobody with, who writes a song can make any money. It pays right. 0.003 pence for a play. Oh, it's, it's ruined the music industry. So you need to sense, do like 200 yeah. million before you get a couple of quid. Um, so, but The Last Resort is the most fantastic protest song about the way the Europeans came and took over, raped the land, murdered um, 5 billion um, of the, uh, what do you call the passenger pigeon? The, uh, the 10 million or so. And then broke treaties, put them into reservations. Everything was in balance in the new world until the Europeans came and tore it apart, really. Yeah. So that's yeah. what he's saying. And in the, there's a great line. It says, um, they call it paradise. I don't know why. You call somewhere paradise. Kiss it goodbye. It's the last lines of this six minute long song. And he's right. You call it paradise. Kiss it goodbye. Because it gets ruined. May I add to this? That song is still relevant because Native Americans are still suffering. Of course they are. And after the, the scandalous stuff we now hear about the schools in Canada. I always thought Canada was, you know, and I mean, in a way, I was conceived in Canada. Remember, my parents got married there. My mum said when she, you know, when she was due to have me, she said, I'm going back to Trinidad to have my child there. But and I've got. People got relatives in Canada, lovely cousins and so on, as well as America. I mean, lots of them too, because as I said, it was a large, fam a large family we had. But um, the way they took the kids out, of, you know, the, the Native American kids out and put them into these special schools and things. Mind you, um, we won't go into it here in any detail, but that's the story of what you call, might call um, evangelism oh, around yes. the world, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, Ireland. I agree. With its with the the Christian brothers, I had a friend. Well, I have a friend who lives in America now. A fantastic. I keep using that word, but it's, I can't use that. Fantastic songwriter, singer, musician, Danny Ellis, whom I met when we first did that trip with a 50-piece band in the stage back in in the early 70s. And um, he's he lives there now, but he wrote a whole album called 800 Voices. Oh, it's about his experiences with the Christian brothers and um, the kind of things you have to put up with. So again, um, there's lots of people. I know lots well, of Well, all I'd say to the listeners, Great if story. you think, I just want to say this to the listeners, mm. if you think the Native American story has been finished with and it's over and their suffering is over, you are so wrong. Yes. Go into YouTube and look at the stories of what's happening even now and go back in this podcast and look for episode where I interviewed a lady by the name of Raven Reed. I and you'll that. get this. Yes. And you'll get the storyline there. It's yep. not finished. It it's is not so finished. not finished. And it's it's, finished. it's a it's an abomination. It's just it I'll just say is. it there. I could keep going on for about that forever. I know. I know. Anyway, yeah. it's it's one of my hot topics. So yeah. moving on, um, music technology is having a serious, in my opinion, a serious influence on creativity where music is concerned, because in many ways, I feel that now not everybody's going to agree with me here, but I feel that the pop music world is getting a bit colorless. It's like sounds all the same. It's, yep. you know, and the more you dig into the effect of technology within music that it's having, whether mm -hmm. it's autumn, you know, um, autotone or quantizing or I could go on. It's just affecting the real authentic, authentic musician 
and what they can produce for themselves and that uniqueness of musician to musician. Can you right. talk more about music technology okay. and what's going on? I agree. Okay, so you have a situation here. Do you run the technology or does the technology run you? Now, if you're a musician with any, and you don't have to be a great musician, you just have to know how to play a bit on the guitar or the piano, enough to satisfy yourself. You need to know the primary and secondary chords and how to perhaps um, change key. And for those of you who don't know, I'm going to just use a term here. It's called the 2-5-1 move, where you go to chord 2, chord 5, and then chord 1 of the key you're going to. For those of you who are musicians, you'll understand. For those of you who don't, I'm sorry, I haven't got time to explain it here. But once you know how to move around and how to change keys and things, a whole world of possibilities opens up to you. The problem with the technology is I use it. I use uh, uh, a Logic, which is a, a program upon which you can record. It's great. You don't need tape anymore. It's all digital. But I'm a musician and I use it to make my stuff on and I play everything in. I don't use what are called loops. There's drum loops, there's bass loops, there's all kinds of loops which are easy to access. You press a button and it goes... Or it goes... And you've got a bass line. It's Lego music. You stick one loop with another loop with another loop and you've got something that works. And of course it works because it's designed to work. It's kind of clips on one to the other, just the way Lego different build. And Lego's come a long way since the days they were just little square things. There's all kinds of wonderful things you can do to create your own house. Fine. And as a way in to something, it's great. But there comes a point when if you want to be unique or to have your own style, you need to know what you're doing musically. And the other thing that I find a little bit of a... Um, a problem for me is that all the mel melodies I'm talking about just the the main pop stuff now I'm not talking about soulful stuff or even R&B or, um, or or rap or any of those things just the mainstream stuff it's all very modal which means it doesn't change key. it all goes like this and it all goes like this and it all goes up and down in the same key and it all runs around like this and I know that I am singing you a song that stays in the same mode all the time see what I mean it didn't move out of key once right mm -hmm. and they all tend to do that whatever the beat is behind them whereas just listen to anything classic. Oh, I don't know, Dion Warwick. I don't know. Like it's. Let's go back to Bach, and you see the okay. musical skill that he had, and he moved like when you're thinking of changing keys in his day, it was like two yep. related keys, but the, how he did it and how he travelled well, from one key into the other and modulated. There was like so much interest. So much invented, interest. He uh, invented, Sylvia. He invented that. He wrote the forty-eight preludes and fugues. Why forty-eight? Because he did. Uh, 12 in the major key, 12 in the minor. I can't remember what the reason was. I think he did he did 48 because he did twice as many as he needed to. But he, he basically showed it was when the well-tempered the well clavier, that means the well-tuned keyboard, um, for scientific reasons, there's something called um, natural tuning. Now, I, wanna, I won't get heavily into science here, but in... In the normal way of things, we have things called harmonics. When you play a violin string and you play something, there are other notes sounding. And those notes are, are sort of natural to the, the makeup of the tone of the instrument. And when you play very early music, stuff, say, from the 15th and 16th century, 
it's it very easily tunes to what you call real tuning. It's called real tuning or mean tuning. No, no, real tuning. What happened in Bath's time was they altered the fifth, and it's slightly out of tune, these things are, with one another. So if you're in the key of C, you can play F chords, you can play G chords. But if you try and play an A flat chord, it sounds horrendously out of tune because A flat is not in the C major scale. So they found that they had to alter some of the notes very slightly or the tunings to create what's called mean tuning or tuning that would suit a movement of rounding keys. Bach recognized that and he wrote the 48 Preludes in Fugues in order to prove that you could move from any key to any other key. With and he does it beautifully. He does, he does and it. I'll tell he, you, to play those Preludes and Fugues as a ooh, keyboardist, ooh, it, they, they require skill. They require some skill. skill. I know, it's oh, wonderful. Yes. And of course, there's skill. also um, the chorale. Yeah, the chorale is a single piece with four parts, simple tuning with the four parts moving around. And you've got, you know, soprano, alto, tenor, bass. But what he does with that simple format, you know, mm -hmm. it might be, I don't know, 32 bars long, is unbelievable. He will take mm -hmm. you from anywhere to anywhere with them. Yes, That's what gifted man, do. gifted man. Wonderful. So moving back to this whole idea of your own music, okay? Yeah. Now, you obviously have studied music for years. You've written music. Oh. You've thought about tunes and chords and yeah. all these yeah. aspects of technology and modulating and so forth. What would be your most favorite song that you've written? Um, I've probably got two or three that I'm very proud of because, and they're for different reasons. Okay, back in 2010, I wrote a song called Haiti. I say Haiti rather than Haiti because Haiti is the way we pronounce it. It never was Haiti. They called their uh, their their country Haiti. It's an African word, Haiti, three syllables, and. There is, just a sidestep for a minute, we have a Calypso competition every year. It happens, it's a big, big thing in Trinidad and Tobago. And also in most of the Eastern Caribbean, there will be a Calypso monarch at some point. And remember last week we talked about Mighty Sparrow and his protest song, um, Carnival Boycott, where he boycotts the carnival because he only gets $40. Nowadays, the Calypso monarch gets around 90,000 quid. For winning that okay. competition, it's a really so it's, big, it's a big deal. deal. There's a lot of it's it, it's whittled down to the last twelve from about four hundred people. They have regional finals, all kinds of stuff, right? We do the same thing here. We do it in Canada. We do it in New York, but it's much smaller. I think you get a thousand quid here, and you get a trip back to the Caribbean or something. So because there's only a few of us here, and, and we're not supported by the government, which is what happens back there. But I've never written a song in my life. To win a composition, win a competition, never. I'm not interested. Competition is competition, but we all go into the competition not because um, necessarily to win, but because the criterion, one of the criteria for being in the Notting Hill Carnival Calypso tent is you have to write two tunes and you automatically get entered into the competition. One is a soca competition, one is a Calypso competition. And so I've been, well, I've been writing since. I've been in the Eclipso tent since 1996. Never written a song to win anything, just have my say. Most of them are actually protest songs. It's a great time for protest. Many of the songs at Carnival Time are that. And I wrote this song called Haiti. And usually, I think there were 12, either 10 or 12 people go in for it. It varies from year to year, depending on how many contestants we have. And 
you never win from first position. If you sing first, you just don't, which makes sense because judges can't give you 10 out of 10 if you're the first song. They've got 11 other contestants to listen to. So in any sport, whether it be high skating, whatever it happens to be, you don't. So I just, and I was, and I never mind singing first. I just, yeah, I get my song over done with. Anyway, I won that year. Oh, to my you? great surprise. Yeah, the first time I won. And I won the following year. And I'll tell Very you about good. that in a minute. I won with Haiti, which I'm going to do a little bit for you now, okay. live okay. here. Because um, if you can take the time, I'm going to do, I'll just do three verses of it because it's a long song, but this is Haiti. The Western world's poorest country, the one called Haiti, really been suffering since she declared herself free. We hear about the massive earthquake, made the ground shake, thereby increasing the grief that was there already. Now, rich countries all try their best how to see who's better than the rest Row about the debts which Haiti's incurred The reasons are so absurd Haiti, this world has refused you Haiti, confused and abused you Haiti and everything when your time got the words how much more can we bane i this world has to face you i have some grace and embrace you i we can't turn our backs on you again oh no Haitians fought a ten-year war till 1804, winning their freedom and showing Napoleon the door. La liberté, égalité, fraternité, just empty slogans, breaking like waves on the shore. Why France wanted reparation? Bye. Charging their once enslaved nation Cry to pay a hundred and fifty million And today that's twenty billion Haiti, this world has refused you Haiti, confused and abused you Haiti can there be no end to your pain? How much more can remain? Haiti, this world has to face you. Haiti, have some grace and embrace you. Haiti, we can't turn our backs on you again. Oh no. The start of the 20th century, the USA agreed to help France collect her dues. The profits lost to slavery. They used the pretext to invade. Haitians were betrayed for refusing to lose. 
what they'd won by their bravery. Through merciless exploitation, grew aggressive legislation to make it hard for her to survive. But Haiti's very alive. Haiti, this world has refused you. Haiti, confused and abused you. Haiti, can there be no end to your pain? How much more can remain? Haiti, this world has to face you. Haiti, just have some grace and embrace you. Haiti, we can't turn our backs on you again. There you go. You see, and the thing, there's another verse too, but I, I don't want to use all the time. And you can find it. It's actually on Spotify. It's one of the tunes. And it's on YouTube with a full band doing it. Or a version of it is with just, I think, three verses. But the thing about Haiti is, or IET, as I say, is um, it's there in the lyrics. America is helping France. France wanted 150 million francs for the loss to the slave owners. And Haiti only paid it off about 20 years ago. Yeah. It turns out to be in the region of 20 to 25 billion. What's that? What kind of justice is that? So that's it just why. so happens that next week's episode in the interview slot will be with a lady called Astrid Devere of Kids Connection Haiti. And she's going oh, to expose fantastic. she's going to expose what's actually happening in Haiti now, the Brilliant. background to her work in Haiti. And she chose Brilliant. to work between the ages of 17 and 26 children in that age group yeah. because all the yeah. other charities in Haiti said, Oh, they're already conditioned to be living a certain way. No, we're not going to waste our, you know, financial resources with that age group. She said, no, I'm going to focus on this group. And she said that's that right. had major success. So I we're having her on. Yeah, we're going to have that on next week. So fabulous. I look forward to that. But also the thing is, you know, I mean, I'm going to have a go here in America. Haiti could get itself out of trouble if it could sell its rights. You know? And people don't realise that Haiti is in such a such a bad way at the minute. It's probably the but worst you know country what? in the world. It's because they had the almighty cheek to fight and win against Napoleon, who was the most powerful man in the world in 1804. Well, they are, all I'll say, everybody, they're suffering now and they need everyone's that's help right. now. That's right. They need everybody's help So here's another one. Now. Another one, this is called, um, I mean, there's actually quite a few. I'm going to do something called Remember Our Heroes. And this is written because, I mean, obviously I'm a Caribbean. Uh, I had an uncle, Uncle John, who was in the RAF. He didn't get shot down or anything. Um, he passed away a few years ago, but he was in his 90s. Uh, bless him. And um, uh, the uh, Memorial Sunday, which just recently happened, didn't it? It was on the 14th of November this, this year. Um, where the people go to the cenotaph and they lay the wreaths and all the rest of it. For many, for years, we never saw a black or a brown face there. It's like they disappeared. And yet, two million Indians and a million Africans and several thousands, somewhere between 16 and 20,000 Caribbeans, all pitched up to support both the world wars. They were Caribbeans in the First World War too. Mm -hmm. And yet, they're overlooked. So I wrote, Remember Our Heroes, 
which I'm glad to say, and I sing it every year at um, Windrush Square, which is a square in Brixton in London, where they have an alternative, not an alternative, well, it is alternative, I suppose. They have their own little, um, small little um, cenotaph, and uh, they have people come in remembering. They have great poets and people of letters, um, Margaret Busby, who's a great, great Margaret Busby, who started the first black publishing company in this country, Alison and Busby, back in the 60s. Personal friend of mine, a wonderful woman, a lovely woman, who, um, and she addressed, anyway, I do that. Here's Remember Our Heroes. Of our heroes we should be proud Calling their names out loud When the whole world had gone to war Africans and Caribbeans helped even the score The British government came and asked us to help the mother country And many volunteered right away to rid this world of tyranny So remember our heroes Who left homes and wives And journeyed to Europe Just to fight for all our lives To shake off our forefathers Shackles and jives Because of them Freedom survives. They were proud to don uniform and to face the eye of the storm. Boys too young would lie about their age, filled with keen and justified rage. The Caribbean regiment fought for freedom and future equality and formed a bridgehead for generations to come for both you and me so remember our heroes who left homes and wives and journeyed to Europe just to fight for all our lives to shake off our forefathers shackles and jives because of them freedom survives we were proud to go under all Many thousands left their home shores To assist in both the world wars And if Hitler had had his way There might be no black people today The Ministry of Defense Once sought to play down their contribution But without them you could not call VE Day a true commemoration. So remember our heroes who left homes and wives and journeyed to Europe just to fight for all our lives. 
to shake off our forefathers' shackles and jives because of them freedom survives because of them freedom survives note the chest of Piccadilly at the end I go from the A minor to the A major freedom because on the word survives I want it to go survive and it goes whoosh do you know there's a moment in Beethoven's fifth symphony where it goes from the third movement into the fourth movement and it's in C minor and it is a there's a sort of very slowly a kind of rushing a crescendo it starts very quietly and it goes up and all the time you've been in C minor and then it bursts like the sun coming out from behind the clouds it's the most magical moment if you don't know check Beethoven's fifth symphony moving from movement three into movement four it's just a glorious moment it just explodes in your brain it's fabulous your move of melody in the chorus section of that song uh, beautiful melody i love the way it well, forms yeah, it's I, lovely. I take a long that's why it's one of my favorite i take a long time getting my stuff together you know it's um as i say those songs both took quite a long time to write i mean haiti took three months to write it had three different choruses before i settled on it there is one let me just indulge me once more there's one more song which is the song that took me the shortest time ever in my life to write ever shortest time what's short time? time and it took two hours and it was on the 14th of june in 2017 i was sitting up late at night watching a movie about 1 32 o'clock in the morning i flicked over to the news and i see a burning building and it was the grenfell tower now i live 15 minutes 10 minutes walk from grenfell 
Right, now, just around. to fill in our listeners, that was a tower of apartments or flats yes, in London that burned down died. and people got killed in it. Yeah, it was very And all severe. the scandal now about the government refusing to pay for cladding to be replaced. So people are now living all over the country in fear of their lives because they have dangerous cladding, but the government won't pay for it. They're making them pay for it, which I think is appalling. But anyway, and I sat up and watched this and, and, and I just didn't go to bed. And then I got my wife, or took her some tea about six in the morning and said, listen, you need to come down and see what's going on. About midday that day, I sat down and wrote this song. Funnily enough, it's not a protest song. It is, and remember, there are many different denominations of religion in there. There were Christians, there were Muslims, there'd be Hindus, there'd be Jews, there'd be all sorts of people from that. And it's called Forever You'll Be Blessed. And it just came pouring out about midday that day and by two o'clock it was finished and the next day I went down to the site anyway where um, there was gatherings and so on and uh, uh, a lovely lady from BBC London I've known for years um, she was she's a sort of roving reporter and a producer um, she always attends these kinds of events um, her name's Valley Fontaine I will, I will name check her Valley Fontaine wonderful lady from Dominica and she said Alex, you got a song for us? I said, I do. And she just recorded a minute of it and just put it out on their Facebook page. And it got 9,000 hits that day. I mean, it's not a big deal. Since which, you know, I've recorded the song properly. Um, it's uh, it's actually on YouTube. It's called Forever You'll Be Blessed. And I did something that doesn't usually happen with Calypso. Calypso is almost always backed with brass. You use a band and you have brass. You have a horn section, right? And it just felt wrong. So... I used strings. I called in some favours. I called in my brother and a friend of mine who plays cello and another girl, ex-college friend, and said, I need some strings on a song. And we recorded it with strings. My wife played some steel pan on it. Um, I asked my sister and a couple of other um, friends from the community, actually steel pan players, girls who could sing, to put some oohs and ahs in. And it goes like this. Grenfell Towers, a tragedy Waiting for the world to see And the warnings have been made For many years People died in fearful flames And we don't know all their names But the whole community is now in tears pray for mothers pray for babies pray for all whose cries are in our ears we never will forget you you're part of our lives we love you and respect you, your memory survives. We pray that peace has found you, your soul is now at rest. Our love is all around you, forever you'll be blessed. 
Overlooked, not listened to People just like me and you Had complained that safety standards were not met From the north, the south, the east We are mourning those deceased But our sorrows tinged with anger and regret Pray for loved ones Pray for strangers Pray for all While all our eyes are wet We never will forget you You're part of our lives we love you and respect you Your memory survives We pray that peace has found you Your soul is now at rest Our love is all around you Forever you'll be blessed Forever you'll be blessed Forever you'll be blessed. Coincidence, I ain't done an age doing that one as well. Yes, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, just, very meaningful. It's about hope, you see, forever yeah. you'll be blessed of coming out of there. And, and they will be. Mm. And it was just, uh, it, I guess it was a protest song, but I tried to keep my anger out of it and just... Focus and that on can, I'm sure that can be hard to kind of pull yourself back when you feel passionate about something and you have to write it. Because yeah. But I mean, it shows what happened that day. Two hours. That's, you know, that's a record, you know, because uh, yeah. uh, on average, of, on average, how long does it take you to write a song uh, on average? Well, you don't do it all the time, but in hours, in hours, it might take 20 to 30 hours. Now, that could oh. be spread over a month. I yes, will tinkle yeah. for two hours on something. And then most of it is changing things. You do it and you come back and, you know... You tweak it a bit and you God work bless on it a bit. And... Because now the phone's got messenger on it. You know, you can just put down your idea on your voice message and you come back to it. And you tinkle with it, you tinkle with it, and you tinkle with it. And eventually you get it to where you, you're happy that it now sounds correct. Um, but, yeah, um, I also get commissions for things... And they're great. I mean, that's where I learnt my craft, doing the stuff for the BBC, where you've got to do stuff to order. And remember that most songwriters are, I mean, the ones you don't see, not the pop stars that are the heads of their bands and things, but, um, oh, I don't know, there's, there, there are just great songwriters around. Who, but I think in some ways, songwriters are poets. They're yeah, they are. Poetry to music, really. Of I mean, that's, I mean, I would say even, have you ever do how would i say this do songwriters ever go to poetry and take poetry tweak it and use it for songs well does, I, does that ever happen it does happen i personally don't like it i'm a member of apples and snakes poetry i joined apples and snakes back in oh it would have been about 19 quite a, 1996 1997 great organization they're mostly about the spoken word so i've shared a stage with people like lem sisse and people like that i've done stuff um I did a very actually I had a great job once I was asked to do um it was at Keats House which is a, a great poetry venue in London and um what's his name not um yeah Ben Zephaniah was going to 
advise and listen to eight new up-and-coming poets who had been nominated by, I think it was um, uh, Apples and Snakes, and they among them some great, some lady poets who've turned into great poets. To, you know, they're like top of their tree now. And I was asked to write a little calypso to introduce each poet, which is what I did. That was fun. <laughs> and I just try, try and make each one different. But no, the thing about poetry is great poetry stands up on its own and mm. I think you should leave it alone. It works okay. on its own basis. It's beautiful. Although I do think if you are reciting poetry and you back it with music, not like no, a no, song that's now, no, no, no. but you have an undercurrent of music behind it, it brings I've it to that. life. Yes, I, I think I it brings it to life. I thought you meant setting the words to a new tune. Well, I did. I did. As but well. I'm only but thinking, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I tend not to go that route, setting setting words to a new tune. But I've certainly backed um, um, Aisha McKenzie, who's a friend of mine, another Trinidadian. Actually, she's from Tobago. Um, she's well, she's been here now for a while, but she's been living in Tobago until the the lockdown when she was here, so she stayed now. And I've done a few gigs with her where she's done poetry, and I've played, and we've got together while I work out something to play behind her. But I don't want to interfere the flow of thought. No, it's only like doing. filling in that silence behind you. Yeah, I, can, I do that. I can do that. Yeah. I don't mind doing that. I'm not so keen. You see, I mean, there's things like, when I think, uh, certainly Mahler and um, certainly Beethoven, they would say, I mean, Beethoven obviously, um, he that the Ode to Joy was originally, ah, the Ode to Joy was originally the Ode to Freedom. Oh, that's yeah. an interesting they, they couldn't, piece that, of information. He couldn't get that past the census back in the 1800s. You know <laughs> oh, what I mean? to freedom and Beethoven's day. Whoa. Leonard Bernstein did a version, did the Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, where he changed the words back to Ode to Freedom. And good luck to him. I thought, great for you. You know, he, he had a lot of guts, that guy. He, I mean, some people loathed him. Some people loved him. He was a genius, like it or not. He was bombastic and, um, you know, he would do things his way. But all power to his arm for bringing it back and saying, yeah, Ode to Freedom.
that was a Schiller poem. And um, there are many instances of composers setting poems. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I guess mm. it's something to hang the poem on. But I like poetry for itself, you know. Um, the great Lord Byron. Should song should songwriters study poetry? In your opinion, should songwriters yeah, virgining songwriters study poetry? They should. They should because what they will study is uh, metaphor and onomatopoeia and the different facets of poetry um, that, that that make it what it is. You know. And so, in other words, if you're talking to somebody who who really is kind of going down that route of thinking and there are young musicians now and they're thinking I'd mm. love to be a songwriter and write my own songs send them down the poetry route and say study well, especially first. modern poets there's some great young there's some great poets out now you know the 20th century poets or the 21st century poets there's some really good ones young poets do an awful lot tremendous listen I recommend anybody Nairobi Thompson she's a fantastic Fantastic. I keep using that word, I know, but she's a fabulous poet. She lives It's okay. In... My word is amazing, so you're okay. Okay, so there you go. She's an amazing, fantastic, fabulous poet. Nairobi, as the spelling of the of, of the of the region is Nairobi, country or the, the the town. What is Nairobi? I'm trying to think. Nairobi is in Kenya. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it's Nairobi. Her name's Nairobi Thompson. T H O M P S O N. She's a brilliant, evocative poet of just outstanding stature um i think people need to spend more time but i think people in general the listening public need to spend more time with poetry but there is Um, i see i see a lot of people saying oh it's lost its footing poetry books don't sell all this kind of thing actually i think i think poetry's never been maybe it depends where you live i don't know i suppose it depends where you live but but certainly of course i live in london but poetry i mean it's almost more you know the um the spoken word is really big in places like rich mix in london it, there's always poetry stuff going on in all kinds of art centers uh, the problem is the problem is how do you know which is the good ones and which is the not so good ones and you need to be you need to have your own measure of judgment and it's it's almost harder to judge poetry there are so many different things of course you don't have to rhyme poetry you don't have to actually rhyme songs and one of the problems i find today is a lot of songs lyrics don't rhyme but they don't not rhyme because they're clever they just don't rhyme because the person who's written it isn't good enough to think about a decent rhyme most of my stuff in fact all my stuff rhymes and i do rhymes within i have i have rhyming schemes within the pattern so um, i've got a song called they came upon the windrush i won't do the whole song they came upon the windrush in 48 the flame of hope in their hearts, whatever fate. A few who formed the vanguard came through, although the doors barred. It's true that most found it hard, but survived it. See, they came upon the windrush. They came upon the windrush in forty-eight. A few who formed the vanguard came through, although the doors barred. It's true that most found it hard. But the survivors always find a way. Now, always finds a way rhymes with a line four or five lines back. Right? So I set up structures that please me. Um, and and sometimes they're hidden. I've got a song. Well, you know Amanda Mandela. You played Amanda Mandela last week. Mm-hmm. I did, One yeah. One of my songs at the end of the, of the show, right? Amanda yes, Mandela. Yeah. And I concocted a verse structure in that because it's mostly 
it's got a long chorus and a short verse a very rare thing usually i've got a long verse and short choruses but it's the other way around and in mandela the queen of england has met with nelson mandela they shook hands together that's not a rhyme to signify there's a change in the weather this man spent a third of his life in a cellar with stale food and water while south africa was a welter of slaughter so what happens is line one rhymes with line four line two rhymes with line three and line five rhymes with line six apartheid had tore the fabric of life asunder it couldn't last much longer not a rhyme with the factions fighting to see who is stronger that rhymes with longer they then realized they'd made a blunder blunder rhymes with line one they at the end of their tether women of soweto you could sew it together five and six so i'm consistent all the way through and i purposely chose no, but I, I chose the half i chose it to sound like a rhyme without being a rhyme because that's what a lot of people do they do an assonance i use assonance but i'm very strict i'm actually got <laughs> in some ways you must be going around every day with thoughts in your head about lines rhyming with this and structures you know of that and melodies drive, of this I drive and I walk along the street and there's things going on in my head all the time. I'd say People the cogs are turning constantly like this. Man. He's mumbling to himself. What's he doing? And actually, I'm I'm trying things out. I'm saying, is that what? Oh, no. ah. And yet there are songs. There are some great songs that are written with assonances on purpose. You remember Squeeze? Remember a band called Squeeze? Can't say that I Okay, there's a song sorry. called Up the Junction. It was a huge hit. It, 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 it was probably back... But Up the Junction had had a, a number of great assonance in it, assonances in it, and they were intentional. So the whole song was built on these rhymes that weren't really rhymes. And it's beautiful. It's a wonderful song. And I like it because it sets out to do that. Okay. But then there's the laziness is when someone can't think of a rhyme. And of course, now you were talking about technology. Now you can get rhyming. You can get a piece of software. You put in four words and a thousand rhymes come up for you to use, which is great. But you've still got to be selective. You've still got to decide, well, which word's the best word? Notice in the Mandela, not Mandela, in the um, Remember Our Heroes, I use the word jives. And I remember I had to ask my dad, because it was a long time ago, 98, I think it was. I remember saying to my dad, um, that was earlier than that, I wrote it earlier than that, I wrote it a long way further back, I think more like 94, 95. And I said to him, do you say gives or jives? And he said, well, I always say jives. I said, okay, fine. He said, what are you? I said, I'm using it in a song. Now, jives are the the uh, the things that the horrible metal things that you clamp onto the feet and the hands, you know, to stop the oh, slaves getting away. Okay, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, I had okay. to look that up, and I I was looking for a word to get across without saying, you know, the iron or the or, or the whatever. And I found the word jives, and I used it in a song, and it's spelled G Y. It's not spelled like J I V E S, which is the dance. So again, I will look for things that might not have been used by other people just to get, you know, a different slant on it. Yeah, and I make up yeah. my own words sometimes. But if yeah. if you were to look even at, we'll just refer back to Joni Mitchell, her turn yeah. of phrase. I mean, for anybody who wants to study songwriting and just observe what other people are doing and, you know, like, how do you go about such a skill? What can you yeah. do? She is somebody to look at as well because her turn of metaphors and she's just the best. She's just she's unreal the way she turns things around yeah. and the way she phrases yeah. things to get an idea across. It's amazing. 
Well, Alexander, it's been wonderful to have you on the podcast. It was an exciting part two. Thank and, you. It's been wonderful um, to be on. I've I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners will have learned a lot too. And now They'll we understand say, what protest songs are. Yeah, well, yeah, they probably say that big edit of so and so mouthing off about classical music. It's not a question of mouthing off. People, classical music is not. Um, it's not some people easy. think no some people think it's, it's so boring it. it's it's like old school it's archaic but listen the art form has been around 300 plus years why is yeah. it still here it's because it's good yes. and it's not and it's not it's never intended to be um highbrow handel was no the... no 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 it wasn't i mean chamber music uh, in its very origins was supposed to be with the people the doing you their play... thing well you play the... i'll tell you one more thing i'm going to confess for the last 40 years, one of the things I did when I was at Dartington, I was at college, I didn't, I didn't get it across last time. I went to Dartington. I um, remember I said to you, I went to a college where, I don't remember if I mentioned this, but I might have done, where I was doing piano and, and guitar and I wasn't any good at, well, the tutor said to me, you're going to have to, um, you're going to have to switch to instrument or you have to go back to square one with your piano because you're not, you know, you're playing in a part in a, in, in, in a restaurant at night and your technique's terrible. So I took up the flute and the cello. And I had a great time, didn't get great on them, but the person who taught me flute played a Baroque flute. Now that's a six, six holes and one key. It's not all the different notes that you get on a modern flute. So you've got to use these forked fingers. Actually, the Irish folk flute's a bit like that. If you want to play semitones, it is, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's just a six holes and one key. And um, when I went to Dartington, there was a tutor there who played Baroque flute, so I continued with it. And I ran into an old friend back in 1980 in West London, I hadn't seen probably for seven or eight years and he was a folk singer but he was also played the cello and he said come around for a cup of tea and he said uh, do you know fancy playing some music i said yeah well he said well i like the baroque stuff let's let's play some so we played we just got some music and played then my brother joined us and we now play once a week and we've been doing it for 40 years 40 years you've been playing 40 years we've been playing baroque music to ourselves we're not good enough to play in public we play Bach at quarter speed or half speed. We get it wrong. We giggle. We laugh. We drink tea. And we just have an absolute ball. And we do what they did in the 17th and 18th centuries of a Sunday, when the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker would meet up at the butcher's house and say, hey, there's a new set of three trio sonatas by Telemann. I've just gone and got it from the publishers. Let's go and play. That's what it was about. That's yeah. what you made your own music. Yeah. And we but sure, still isn't do it. it? But but isn't music all about community at the end it of the is. day it's, it's bringing people playing, together yeah. raising the frequency making yeah. life sweeter put it that it way is. making it life is. sweeter so yeah. look alexander it's been an absolute pleasure we'll have you back Thank in the you. future again for sure and i've learned a lot we're going to keep in contact for sure we're going to keep thanks in contact. a lot cheers And world's poorest country, the one called Haiti, really been suffering since she declared herself free. We hear about the massive earthquake, made the ground shake, thereby increasing the grief that was there already. Now, rich country.
Fought a 10-year war Till 1804 Winning their freedom And showing Napoleon the door La liberté, égalité Fraternité Just empty slogans Breaking like waves on the shore Why France wanted reparation Nation crying to pay a hundred and fifty million today. That is twenty billion. Haiti, this world has refused you. Haiti, confused and abused you. Haiti, can they? 